So we are starting a new series today, and we are going to be walking our way through the Gospel of Mark. Um, and as we do that, again, this series is going to take us all the way to Easter morning. And so we're going to be walking uh, through the life of Jesus as, as described in the Gospel of Mark. And so again, we're, going to be, um, we're not going to be going verse by verse because we don't have time to do that. Easter is five weeks away, but, but we're going to follow again. Um, we're going to be covering two or three chapters or so a week, all leading all the way up to Easter morning. And as we look at the Gospel of Mark, there are four Gospels in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one gives us a little bit of a different spin or perspective on the life of Jesus. And literally, the word gospel literally means life of Jesus. And so when we see, again, these, these different stories that are given to us from the different biblical writers, um, and each of them comes from a different perspective, kind of a different little flavor or twist, and they were also written for different audiences. Okay, the Gospel of Mark um, was the first gospel that was written down. In fact, the, the first kind of part of the first century church, much of the story of Jesus was, was passed around um, through oral tradition. They were, people would tell stories, and they would hear the teachings of the apostles. And, and as they moved further through their ministries, the apostles got older, and as the, the church grew and it expanded into these other places, people started to realize, hey, we need to write these stories down or else they're going to get lost. And so different people started writing down, again, different stories of, of Jesus' life. Now, Mark wrote down, again, his version. He was the first one to do that. Um, and so and his, in this first version of Jesus' life, of this gospel, um, he, he wrote it from a very interesting perspective. They, in fact, two of the four gospels were written by disciples, firsthand accounts of them walking with Jesus. Okay, the other two were not disciples who wrote it. And Mark is one of them that was not a disciple. Okay, he was not one that walked with Jesus every day for the, of his earthly ministry. But Mark was uh, a, a close associate of Peter. Okay, most scholars believe that he, was, he worked with Peter, he went around with him, and through his ministry as an apostle and starting and, and being the rock of the early church, again, Mark was a guy that, that hung out with Peter a lot. And so Again, as Peter was telling these stories and teaching these different interactions with Jesus, Mark started writing them down. Okay, now Mark gives us uh, a, a, a unique perspective um, because he writes in a very brief but powerful way. Okay, is he, he, this is the shortest of the four Gospels. He, he kind of teaches us in, in bullet points. He doesn't go into great detail, and he moves from story to story very quickly. In fact, when we read through the gospel, you see he literally skips entire chunks of the timeline of Jesus' ministry. Um, and he just goes into the next story. And, and we don't necessarily even realize how much time had probably passed between these stories. And he teaches to us in bullet points. Okay, Mark tends to focus more on what Jesus did more than on what he said. Okay, there are less red words in Mark's gospel than in the other ones. Uh, it was he wrote it for a Gentile audience, mainly in Rome. And so he does explain Jewish customs and explains some concepts differently than some of the other gospel writers because he was writing it for a Gentile audience. And, and truthfully, that's helpful for us because we're Gentiles, right? We are not raised in the Jewish culture. And so there are things that he explains in the gospel that help us to understand the context. Also, during this time and within this region of Rome, persecution was happening at a very high level. Okay, King Nero was in power. 
and he was a ruthless leader, and he demanded complete devotion to himself. Okay, King Nero, in fact, believed that he himself was a god, and he wanted to be treated like one. Okay, and so with that said and that known is there was no wiggle room when it came to defining Jesus. Okay, if you define Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of the living God, in this context of King Nero and under his leadership, then you were guaranteed to be persecuted. Okay, which then, as we look at the very first verse of Mark's gospel, we see that from the very first sentence, okay, in this environment, Mark draws a line in the sand. Okay, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, okay, where he says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Again, the very first sentence, Mark lays it out and makes this emphatic statement that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the chosen Messiah, right? And therefore implies that King Nero isn't God, right? And so we see in this, right, that, that Mark draws a line in the sand from the very first sentence, okay? And he's, and he's making this statement that, hey, the Roman government and King Nero is not the authority, the ultimate authority. It is God, and Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And this whole idea and theme of authority runs through the entire gospel. Okay, as Mark um, lays the foundation, and then he, he moves into these first stories of Jesus' life and the start of his public ministry. Okay, the ov- overlying theme of the gospel okay, is who or what do you give authority to in your life? Who or what do you give authority to in your life. Again, from the very first sentence, Mark says, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of of God. He is the authority. And he therefore asks us, who is going to be the authority in your life? Now, this whole concept of authority is one that we know. It's it's one we see play out in our culture a lot. In fact, if, if you see what a lack of authority or lack of structure in our life brings, just watch somebody try to parent a little kid. Right? And we all know, right, that, that we all have these grand, grand ideas of, what, of how, uh, how we're going to parent. And, and, you know, parenting doesn't seem that hard. And, and, and it doesn't seem that hard until you become a parent. Right? Again, and I'll tell you, that, that was me. Like, I remember as a college student and, you know, a young married man looking at me like, you know, parenting doesn't seem that hard. And then we had a baby, right? And all theories about parenting go out the window when the baby's crying at two in the morning and you don't know what to do. Right? And we, but we understand that lack of authority and lack of structure, we naturally drift towards chaos. Again, if you just observe a, a family dynamic where there's no authority given over the kids and no structure, right, it is complete chaos. In fact, we, we, we see this. It's actually very entertaining. I mean, we, we actually made it into a TV show. Several different, there's lots of versions of it, but kind of the most popular one was called Nanny 911. Right? Some of you guys remember this, this show, right? It's like when parents get to the point where they hit the end of their rope with their kids, and they don't know what to do. They call in Nanny 911, and this, this lady shows up and lays down some authority in this kid's life. 
right, and teaches these parents how to, to be parents, right, and to bring structure and rules into, into their lives. Now, again, we know that kids need this because if they don't have it, then they, we move towards chaos. Again, look at our school system and our structure we have in place, right, is we have a hierarchy of authority that we work through within teachers and, and principals and administration and, and you know, uh, district superintendents, and, and there, there's this, this ladder of authority, right? And yet, um, sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't, right, based on how the kid reacts to that authority, whether they accept that authority or not. We can kind of step out from parenting and we see this concept of authority in, in many other places in our culture. Again, look at the military, for example. Right? When you sign up for the military and enlist into the military, right, your first step in your military journey is basic training. Right? And what do they do at basic training? The goal of basic training is to establish who has authority and who doesn't. Right? And, and everybody comes into basic training from all kinds of different perspectives, and everybody leaves basic training with the same perspective. Right? Because the goal of basic training is to break down whatever idea you have of who the authority is and then build you back up in the chain of command that is built in to the military. Right? And it's incredibly important. Right? Because if you don't follow the authority that's above you in the chain of command, then not only are you putting your own life at risk in these situations, but all of those people that you're serving around you as well. Right? As well as the bigger mission. Right? And authority is needed in our life. And yet, with that said, if we don't have it, we tend to drift towards chaos. Okay? And yet, there is certain authority that comes with, with position. You know, there are positions of authority. And yet, in our culture, our culture continues to drift further away from this biblical concept of authority in our life. Right? To where we have even lost the respect for certain positions. You know, I, I'll tell you, just looking at our culture now, today compared to me growing up is there's a very different respect for authority positions. Look at how we treat our law enforcement officers today versus how, like, when I was a kid. It's very, very different. Right? But they are in a position of authority that we have given them in our culture. Right? And yet their authority is not respected by many people. Again, look at that. Even these last few years as we look at our government and at the office of our president, Right? And there is, again, a certain level of respect and authority that comes with the office of President of the United States. Right? And yet, we've even lost a lot of that right? in this last year. And again, and I'm not making a, a political statement. I don't, I don't know whether you, you support or don't support our current president. But after our last election, there was this movement that, that ran through our country that, with this hashtag that said, not my president. Right? And our culture sat back and said, I, I, because I didn't vote for that person or I don't like that person, I will not respect the authority of that position. Hashtag not my president. And I'll tell you, that is very, very dangerous ground. Because we are supposed to have authority built in our life and in our culture. Right? And yet when we don't respect that authority, when we have different reactions to that authority, right, it will lend us towards chaos. And as we see this, again, this, this underlying question, right, that, that Mark lays out within this gospel, who or what do you give authority to in your life? Because at the end of the day, we choose who we give authority to or not 
in our own life. Right? Whether it's the office of the president or a law enforcement person when the lights come on behind us in traffic, right? or, or how we view our God and our Savior. Right? We get to choose who or what we give authority to in our life. And with that said, as we, we see these, these different interactions here in the beginning of the gospel, as, as Mark makes this emphatic statement in the first verse, then we see these different reactions from different people to Jesus and to his authority. And so we're going to start off in looking at the first one here in Mark chapter 1. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your own Bible or have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats, and you're welcome to use one of those. You'll see in the outline is the page number where you can find this passage in that Bible. But follow along with me as we read Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 1 through verse 11, where it says, This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel, camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So here again, we see this first interaction with Jesus by John the Baptist. Okay, and the first thing that we learn is that your clothing and your food choices drastically affect your life calling. Okay, that was a joke. Everyone's going to laugh. Everyone's like, what? Really? Like, no, not really. That really doesn't. But but we see, they tell us about John here, right? They're like, hey, this guy was a little off. Right? He lived in the wilderness. He wore strange clothes. He ate weird stuff. And yet, people came to him. Right? And yet, when they came to him, right, he really did build a good platform. He had a strong following of people. Again, it wasn't his clothes and it wasn't his lifestyle and, and his diet that, that drew people to him. That's not why they listened to him, right? But why they listened to him was because he brought a different message than what they were used to hearing, right? He brought a message of hope. He's saying there's a Messiah coming, right? The covenant is going to shift, right? And through confession and through devotion to God, you can be forgiven and you can find salvation. And this brought hope to people that they'd never experienced before. Right, and people were not drawn to the oddity of John the Baptist, but they were drawn to the message that he gave. The fact that Jesus is coming. And then Jesus shows up. Right, he shows up, and, and as we see in this passage, right, that, that, that John baptizes him, and, and we see here in this, this picture of, of all three parts of the Trinity are present here in this one moment. 
right, as John baptizes Jesus and, and he sees the, the Spirit ascending on him like a dove and, and the Son is, is here being anointed for this, this his physical um, and, and public phase of his life and ministry, and then if you hear this audible voice from God the Father saying, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, and, and John is sitting back in awe of this, right, and praising God that, that he has the, the chance to be a part of this whole story. Right? And that is the first reaction that we see of Jesus from John the Baptist, right? that he shows complete devotion to Jesus' position of authority. Right? He says, yes, I am completely devoted to Jesus. Right? John the Baptist understood this clear calling on his life. Right? And he lived into his calling with complete devotion. He knew what his role was, and he lived into it. He says, no, it's, it's not about me. It's about me paving the way for who it is about. It's about Jesus. It's about him, the Messiah, and him transitioning us into this new covenant of grace. Again, in Mark 1, 7 and 8, John announces that someone's coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, John responds to Jesus with complete devotion. Right, a big part of John's role and a big part of John's success was that he accepted God's plan and, and God's will for him, and he stayed humble. Again, he knew that God was the authority, right, and that Jesus was supposed to take the authority from him, even with this this following, this platform, and everybody that was following John, he's like, no, the, it's not about me. It's about passing them on to you. In fact, we see in the other Gospels that there's a time, right, when even John's disciples were like, John, doesn't it bother you that Jesus is, like, taking everything from you? Like, everybody's shifting to him. He's like, no, that's what it's supposed to happen. Like, that is the plan. And so you also should follow Jesus. Right? It's about him. And he served him with complete devotion as he gave all of the authority in his life over to Jesus. And then we see, um, is we skip down to this next story in verses 21 through 28 where we see some different reactions to Jesus. So Mark chapter 1, pick up at verse 21. Where it says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. And suddenly a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the, 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 the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. So here again, we see Jesus as, as he's interacting with these people in, uh, in the synagogue, and he's teaching them about, you know, about who God is and all these things, again, he doesn't tell us what he was teaching, but, but yet we see now this interaction that happens with this evil spirit. 
Right? And, and again, as Jesus shows up, this demonic figure shouts out, like literally to Jesus and says, I know who you are. Right? But then it also presents these, these questions to Jesus. And again, we see this reaction that this demonic figure has to Jesus is that it acknowledges Jesus' identity, but it followed a different authority. Okay, it acknowledges his identity. That, again, he says, you are the Holy One of God. I know who you are. Right? And we see that right in, in verses 23 and 24. Right? He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There's not a question about Jesus' identity here. But notice the lead-in questions. There is a big question about authority. Because this evil spirit, even though they acknowledge Jesus' identity, does not follow Jesus' authority. Now, again, here we see there's a certain authority that comes with the position of Messiah, of being the Holy One of God. Right? That it has to obey Jesus when he tells them to, to leave the man, and, and, the Holy spirit, and the evil spirit does that. Right? It must obey because in the chain of command, they are outranked. Right? And yet, what are these questions when he comes to him and gives to Jesus? He says, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Right? I mean, this evil spirit is asking the attentions of Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? Because again, this evil spirit is saying, like, I know who you are, but I don't want to follow you. Right? I don't want to give you authority in, in in what I'm doing. So, did, like, did you come to stop me or not? I just, I want to know right now. Right? They acknowledge Jesus' identity, right? But they follow a completely different authority. Okay? And obeying in the moment is very different than giving Jesus authority ongoing in their mission. Right? They, again, they obeyed in the moment because they were outranked by God. But there was no ongoing authority in what they were going to accomplish. In fact, they were literally asking permission, can I continue to do what I like to do? Or are you coming to destroy me? Is this the end of the road for us? Or, or, or is it not? Right, they were asking what Jesus was going to take. Again, as we look at this reaction to Jesus from this evil spirit, right, we learned Right, that, that knowledge does not save you. Right, they, again, this evil spirit has, it acknowledges his identity. It knew the truth of who God was and who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. But that knowledge did not change anything of the mission of that evil spirit. And the same is true for us. We can know everything about God and know everything about Jesus, and we can remain unchanged. Right, and even when we think about this idea, this concept of who Jesus is and our reaction to him, right, we use this phrase oftentimes around church and in Christian circles, right? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever really thought about that phrase? Because we're identifying Jesus, we're giving him authority in two different places, as our Lord and as our Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, it, it rolls out of our mouth really easily, Right, but is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Or is he just your savior? Or maybe he's neither one. Maybe you know a lot about Jesus, but you haven't even accepted him as your savior. Right, but even once we receive Christ as our savior, then we start the process that our faith journey that, 
we had to start to figure out how does Jesus become our Lord? Because that is an ongoing authority in our life that we, that we give him, right? As we move forward in our faith journey, as we're transformed to be more like him and realize like, no, God, I trust you. I give you that authority to continue to transform me to become my Lord. And that's very different than him just being our Savior. Right? And we use that phrase on purpose. It's to remind us, right, that he is our Lord and our Savior. That's the authority that he deserves. But do we give it to him? Now, we also see another reaction to Jesus here in this story. It wasn't just the evil spirit, but there were, he was also surrounded by crowds. Right? There were lots of people around, and we, we see their reaction in this story as well. Okay? And we see that the crowds admired Jesus. Right? But they also make no visible commitment to him. In fact, not just this story, but we see that there were all kinds of crowds that, that, that followed Jesus. In fact, we see their reaction here in this story in verses 22 and 27. Right, it says, The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Again, they admired the power of Jesus' teaching. You see, there's something different about this. They admired it. But again, there's no, there's no sign or it doesn't tell us that they ever made an actual commitment to Jesus. And then we see again their reaction, right? What sort of teaching is this after the evil spirits cast out? They asked, excited. They were excited about Jesus. Right? They're saying his words have authority. They see that even this evil spirit had to obey, right? They, they, they admire this about Jesus. But yet, there's no sign in any of these stories of the crowds that they ever actually changed anything in their life or even accepted him as their savior. The crowds followed him around. They listened to his teachings. In fact, the crowds grew quickly. And yet Jesus, all throughout the gospel, the most he does with the crowds is try to avoid drawing big crowds. I mean, he does that even in this story. He tells the, 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 the demon, like, don't, don't say that. I don't, I don't want, you know, that to, to spread. Right? Because Jesus was not interested in just attracting big numbers. These people came around Jesus and they came for the miracles and for the healings and for the whole entertainment value of all this stuff, but yet they didn't give him a long-term commitment. Jesus wasn't interested in popularity or drawing large crowds. He was interested in finding people that genuinely wanted to accept him as their Savior and be forever changed as their Lord. And yet... All throughout the gospel, we see there are even places, right, where Jesus, like if the crowds get too big, he's, he gives a hard teaching just so they'll leave. Right, and he disperses crowds. That was not his goal. And then you have one more reaction I want to look at today that's found in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We're skipping forward to Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Where it says, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit God good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was sad, deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. 
And so the man held out his hand, and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Okay, we see here these, these religious leaders of the time. Okay, one, you can tell they're already threatened by Jesus because we see, again, the crowd's reaction earlier, right, was, wow, his teaching is awesome. There's kind of stink. Right, and then they're threatened by him, and yet then they come in this interaction as, again, this story is not focused on the miracle or the man that he heals. It's really focused on the religious leaders. Right, and we see, again, their reaction to Jesus is they just completely rejected Jesus' identity and his authority. It was all about rejection. Right, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, all they wanted to do was subdue him and get him out of the picture. It was complete rejection. Again, and yet, what is the reaction of God in this moment? I mean, he obviously knows their intentions, right? And as the story is focused on them, right, we see the heart of God come to even those who outright reject him, right? In verses 5 and 6, when it says that he, Jesus looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. He held his hand, it was restored, and at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters to figure out how to kill Jesus, how to remove him out of the picture. Yeah, but what was Jesus' reaction? What was God's reaction to even complete rejection from these religious leaders? He was not angry at them. He was angry at their heart of hearts. Right? It broke Jesus' heart and the fact that they rejected him so outwardly and purposefully. But God, God's will is for everyone to come to him, even those that outright reject him. Everyone is welcome. Right? And we see that through the heart of Jesus here. And as we look at these four different reactions to Jesus, right, we see complete devotion. We see others who acknowledged him but, but go a different way. Right, we see also see those that admire Jesus from a distance and just got for their own personal gain. Right, that's all they cared about. They just admired him from a distance and they gained whatever they could from him. And then there was outright rejection of Jesus. And as we look at this list and these four different um, reactions to him that we see here in these first few stories of the gospel, we recognize that all of these reactions to Jesus are very prevalent in our world today just like they were then. Right? We have some that are completely devoted. We have some that, that acknowledge him, but they just go a different way. We have some that admire him from a distance just for their own personal gain, and we have those that completely reject Jesus. And in fact, when we realize that, and when we think about this list and these names that are going to end up on this piece of paper, is that all of those are probably going to be present on those names. But... As we recognize that and as we see that, right, is we need to recognize and know that these were not the only reactions to Jesus. There's one more that I want to look at today. Okay, as we read Mark 3, 13 through 19. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, where it says, Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain, and he called out the ones that he wanted to go with him. And they came to him, and then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. And they were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. And these are the twelve that he chose. 
Simon, who he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Can we see this list of these 12 men that Jesus sought out and invited to be disciples? Okay, and, and we see again their reaction to Jesus, right, was that they followed. The disciples choose to follow. Now, as we look at that list, and, and we can already see, right, that Mark adds a, a few little, you know, addictions to their names. Like, oh, this is the one that did that, and this one, well, this was their reputation, right? We, we see that Mark's showing us that, that in this list of disciples that all of these reactions were present. Right? And Jesus does not invite us to come to him only when we're completely devoted. No, he just asks us to come to the to follow, no matter where we're at, no matter what reaction we have, have currently to him, he still invites us to follow. And he asked the disciples, just come follow me. Right? And, and when we look at this list, right, again, they, they see this invitation and they follow. Earlier in the gospel, in chapter one, we see, again, Jesus calls out to them, and this was, this was uh, Simon and Andrew. He calls out to them and says, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Again, Jesus just invited them to come from wherever they were. Just follow me, and I will change your life. I will put you on a different path. Again, when they received this invitation from Jesus, they didn't fully understand who Jesus was. They didn't really know what they were even signing up for. And their motivations were likely all over the board. But Jesus gave them an invitation to follow, and they did. They started a journey with Jesus. It was a journey filled with crazy experiences, with healings and miracles, with confusing teachings, with power struggles, with sacrifices, and with transformation. They were all over the board, but yet they trusted Jesus, and they followed. Again, and that's really our goal when you even look at these names on this list. It's not our job to change them. It's our job to pass on the invitation. Right? And no matter what their reaction to Jesus has ever been before, right, our job is to pray for them and to extend the invitation. No matter where they are, God can take them from wherever they are. That's God's job, to change them. Our job is to extend the invitation. You want to follow. Who or what do you give authority to in your life? All right, and as they follow, again, like I said, Jesus asked them to trust him, to give him the authority in their life, and he would give them an entirely different life. And through these next few weeks, we're going to go on this journey with these disciples as they interacted with Jesus, as they learned, as they struggled, as they, they messed up. But it was a journey that, that they took that, landed, that ends them and it's going to end us at Easter morning. Right? And that's when everything really changed. But there was a lot to learn along the way. You know, we're going to learn a lot along the way in these next few weeks as we journey with them. 
But it leads me, though, to my final thought here for this morning, and that is this. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. What is your reaction? All right, what's your reaction to Jesus? He's inviting you to follow. What will be your reaction? Again, I don't know what your reaction to Jesus has already been. I don't know. Maybe Jesus is already your Savior, but he's not your Lord. Right, maybe you've never received him as your Savior. Maybe you're far along your journey, and he truly is the Lord of your life. And again, I don't know, but, but Jesus is inviting us to go further from wherever we are to continue in that journey. And I hope that we'll give him the authority that he deserves to take us on that journey. Lord God, we have tasted and seen, God, your presence and your love. And God, even just from the invitation that we see from Jesus to come follow And God, I pray, Lord, that as we respond to that invitation, God, that we would, Lord, invite your presence into our lives. God, that we would live every day, Lord, moving forward in our journey, Lord, and figuring out, Lord, how to have you not just be our Savior, but truly be our Lord. God, that we can shine that, that light and, and help others taste your love through our own life and our own journey. God, especially as we start, Lord, this path towards Easter, God, I pray that you would help us again to, to follow your invitation. God, in our own lives, prepare us, Lord, for for the resurrection, but God, also to invite others to come along with us. God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that you can help us to serve you with everything we have, and that we can move a step closer to that complete devotion. And God, use our lives for your glory, or to bring others into the same relationship with you. Or guide us as we go this week. Guide us on this journey all the way to Easter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.